Good evening, everyone. Or should I say, Happy New Year. This is the opening episode of the 2023 season of Necromaniacs. How's it going, Jeff? It's going good, man. Happy New Year. Yeah, we're literally recording this on New Year's Day. So it's, uh, you know, pretty cool. Start the year off. Pretty, yeah. Pretty early in the morning, too. I feel like you people. and I always do things earlier in the day. So, uh, yeah. That's just my nature, man. I, I've been an early riser for, I don't know, maybe like a, a decade now where I just get up no matter what at five, six in the morning. I could go to bed at like two and still get up at six. I, I have this internal clock that won't let me wear, like sleep late. I've actually been that way my whole life, man. Like ever since uh, I started working, you know, when I was like getting out of high school and, uh, or even in high school, I was like always doing like construction jobs and you got to be there at seven. So you, yeah. you know that world, those guys all wake up at like four thirty in the morning and you know, that's kind of the vibe. Yeah. I, well, when I was younger, I, I younger in my twenties, I remember like waiting tables and having to be there at ten thirty, and still being like, just fucked up, so fucked up from the night before that ten thirty seemed early to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the, the sort of stopped uh, years and years ago. So yeah, I, I wake up. I usually like you know I don't have to be at work till ten. So usually just wake up early, fuck around, get try to get some stuff done, pay bills, you know, usual stuff. I, I like it, and I, I like being up when everyone else is asleep. That's some Mike Tyson shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm up training, fighting. <laughs> You know, trying to figure out my opponent. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, that's it's a good way to catch up on things. Like, you know, because sometimes you come home from work, you're tired, don't really want to do much. So it's it's a good time to, like, oh, well, I want to see this. So, you know, I'll watch it before I go to work. Before we get rolling, let's shout everyone out in the uh, horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. I usually fuck that up, but I seem to have gotten right. So maybe... Um, Starting the new year off off, off correctly. So yeah, of course I'm good. talking about Monday. We got Horror Wolf six 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 brought to you by Brandon Legion. He has tons of killer guests. His uh, his podcast is primarily uh, interview based, and it's mm-hmm. all up and comers, old school horror people, you know, filmmakers, actors, all that. On Tuesday we got Into the Necrosphere. By uh, Jackie Smith, who is on vacation currently. So there's been a little bit of a break in his broadcasting. I saw photos on Instagram. He looks tan. He's out on the beach. You know, he's like smiling. So soon he'll be coming back to England where it's not sunny and there's no beaches. And uh, he'll be ready to start <laughs> kicking ass again. <laughs> Actually, are, are there such i think margate i think there's a beach in margate right is that a coastal uh, town uh, brighton brighton okay brighton yeah i've been there there's 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 definitely a beach there surfing do you think they surf in england i don't think so man i have to I have to look into that next time I'm yeah <laughs> british surfing champion <laughs> yeah, look it up wednesday is everything went black that's uh kind of uh this kind of free form jazz version of a podcast where I have a bunch of different stuff on there. It's not specifically music related. 
uh, recently, Josh Barnett came back on the podcast, and uh, we talked about music, we talked about movies, we talked about pro wrestling, we talked about a little bit about MMA, but, uh, you know, it's a variety of different things show up on that show. And of course, Thursday, Necro Thursday, is, uh, is we bring you our take on current and old horror films. Friday, rounding out the week, we have Break the Apocalypse, an irreverent look at current events and lifestyle, brought to you by Mike Scandato's brother, John Draper. Mm-hmm. Saturday is a day off. Go out, walk around, go and get some sun, You know, touch your toes to the grass, get away from your computers and your phones, take Saturday off. Sunday, Carl Hikara comes at you with Soul Knox. And that's it, man. That's a that's a full week of content out there for people. That's a lot, man. And uh, side note, I'll be a guest on uh, Horror Wolf coming up in February. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Brandon rules. Yeah, really nice guy, man. Like him a lot. Have you uh, seen anything recently or read anything? We are, you know, we're, we're rounding out the holidays right now, and I'm assuming there was a little bit of downtime. Yeah, I actually saw a lot. Uh, but, you know, hey, let's start this episode on a positive note. Mike, I finally <laughs> watched The Stranger. Oh, yeah. Um, you had talked about it on this podcast, and uh, I was talking to a friend. And, uh, you know, he, he's an actor. We're talking about movies a lot. And I was like, so what was your pick for best movie of the year? And he said, oh, The Stranger by far. And I was like, all right, you know, that's that's a couple people now who are saying this movie's great, so I got to check it out. And... Uh, it did not disappoint at all. Uh, I have—I don't know if it's—it's it's not my favorite of the year, but it's definitely a top ten. I—I I really, really enjoyed that uh, movie. And there's something about Australia, man. They just—the vibe of those films, man. You know? Yeah, they do crime that almost better than anyone. I can think of a, just a handful of Australian crime films that are just uh, levels above almost any other crime film uh out there and i think joel edgerton is in every single one yeah yeah he's uh, is he australian he is yeah that's what i thought definitely yeah uh sean harris however is british yeah i believe yeah okay uh but yeah yeah like i said my friend's an actor i could see why he liked this so much it's a very uh character dialogue driven movie you know and as as you know that's some of my favorite stuff is when there's a lot of dialogue and uh, you know yes. characterization and that kind of stuff. And, and uh, Sean Harris is like, I've been a fan of his for a long time. And ever since he played yes. uh, Ian Curtis in uh 24 hour party people. And, yes. Uh, yeah. I've been kind of following his career. And I don't, I don't know if in Europe, is he, a, is he a bigger name in Europe? Cause I feel like he's completely underrated in this in domestically in the States, you know? I'm not sure, but I hope he is, you know. Um, it's funny how that works. So someone could be a huge star somewhere and almost virtually unknown here in the States. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think he's incredible, man, honestly. I think that's sort of a detriment to Like, he disappears into a role really well. I mean, he's got a very recognizable face, but he plays such a, a wide variety of strange characters. You know, they're all a little odd, but he... he brings something different to each role. And he was a great Ian Curtis. 
the best, honestly, even though they've had dudes out there who, you know, like he didn't look like Ian Curtis, but you felt like it actually was Ian Curtis when you watched that movie, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought the kid who did, uh, who played him in Control was, was, was very good, too. That's a great I, movie. I don't know, man. That kid was, like, too good looking. I, I don't know. He had, like, a powdered <laughs> face and everything. It's, Ian Curtis was just, like, a regular bloke. You know what I mean? He wasn't like some yeah. howdy faced like guy, you know. I didn't realize that the kid who played Ian Curtis in Control was also in Free Fire, the Ben Wheatley movie. I don't remember that either, actually. Yeah, he played like the fucking heroin addict. Ah, okay. Who kind of like sets the whole thing off. <laughs> uh, Holy shit. Yeah, yeah he was... that was him. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, because he's like an American in that film. Is he American, yeah, that he's... actor? No, he's British, okay. but yeah, he plays a, a Boston piece of shit <laughs> in, in, in Free Fire, and he's very good. I love that movie. Watch that movie. Is it, I think uh, it's on Showtime or something right now. Oh, is it? Oh, I think man. so. It's on. It's on like one of those uh, you know premium channels, and of course uh, we got Michael Smiley in that movie, who's also also great. Yeah, Killian Murphy, and you have a, a real life cannibal Ar- Ar- Army Hammer <laughs> is in that movie. Wait, what? Well, you didn't hear read about that. Apparently, you know, he got canceled for uh, you know sending like, like really, he's got this kink where he like wants to eat these girls. Oh something. my god! Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think he was almost Batman too. So he would have this Batman movie shot that he couldn't release because he fucking sending this, this crazy fucking text messages to people. Like, did he actually uh, eat anyone, or is this some weird fantasy that he had? I, I think it, I, I hope he didn't eat anyone. I don't think he did. <laughs> I think it was just some weird kink, but that came into light. Like, oh, it's not just a kink. The guy's actually a fucking abusive piece of shit. Wow. Go figure, huh? Hollywood. <laughs> Who would have thought? It's a wild world, man. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. I uh, never really got to got to see that side of uh of, of Hollywood. You know, just being a regular Joe. Um, what else did I watch? Oh. Something you guys mentioned on the best of 2022, I finally watched A Wounded Fawn. Was that your recommendation or, or, or Mike's? I'm not sure. I think it might have been a movie that I wanted to see or something. I, I'm trying to remember the timeline in which we recorded that. But uh, So what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought the first 45 minutes was almost perfect. It dips a little bit in the second half. But uh, still really, really good. Probably would have made an honorable mention for me had I watched it before uh, we recorded that episode. Once again, a movie with minimal characters and a lot of exposition. You know what I mean? And that's kind of typifying what the the fare that Shudder seems to offer with their exclusives. It's like these movies are made with a fairly low budget. They rely a lot on dialogue to portray the story, not so much action and special effects. And right. The, um, but the, sh- the downfall of a lot of these films too, is when they try to do some kind of special effects, like set piece, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And it just fails miserably. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate, you know? And, um, you know, we'll talk about this later, but the subject subject of today's episode Somehow seems to sidestep all that, which I think is uh, a testament to how great they are. 
but yeah, go yeah, ahead. Man. Absolutely. Anything else? You oh no, yeah, check out? great, great movie. Cool retro vibe without being a nostalgia trip. Um, yeah, really good movie. Just like not sure where it was gonna go. Uh, a little bit disappointed with where it went. It ended up being a little bit more simplistic. I was kind of hoping it was just reaching for something more, but you know, it's okay. All in all, it was uh, really solid. Liked it a lot. I, I, I recommend it. Uh, when I saw it, I didn't know anything about the movie. I just the, the title just struck me like uh, it might have been like this kind of Arthur Mackin, like uh, folk horror kind of thing. Yeah, which I mean, it kind of is, but not really. I mean, it's it's more of like a simple cat and mouse kind of movie. Uh, but you know, speaking of what what made me appreciate it more, speaking, of, I watched another. Uh, Shutter exclusive, the apology. You know what, man? After I watched uh, the Bellator Ryzen card last night, I put that on and I fell asleep because I, I told you I was uh, I was dozing off right around midnight last night. So I had that. I, yeah. So far, I have to finish watching that. But what are your thoughts on it? Uh, my thoughts are you really don't have to finish watching. Oh, it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I hated it. <laughs> really hated it. Um, yeah, yeah, a missed opportunity. You know, it's like a, someone knocks on uh, on this person's door. You know, uh, minimal. So I think there's only about three characters in this movie, and one of them is played by Jean Garofalo. She plays the neighbor. And like, when's the last time you saw her in anything? Also, what's up with her lips, man? Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> man. I, I, that's uh, some plastic surgery that uh, didn't age well. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, that that was a bummer, man. Her lips like bummed me out, and um, yeah, I don't, I would, I can't remember the last time I even heard about her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I follow comedy, uh, yeah, for the most part, but I haven't heard her name come up in anything in forever. But here she is in the the apology, and I, you know, I was kind of hoping for like this Polanski Death in the Maiden kind of vibe. Like, is is this guy like, is he? Is he a bad guy? Is he she mistaking him? But it was very simple and boring and uninteresting and just flat visually. There was just nothing about it that that, that stood out to me. It was just completely forgettable. Like, you know, eating a Twinkie or something. Eating a Twinkie? Wow. Yeah, you know, you just eat it and then you forget you ever ate it. And then you're like, oh, when's the last time I ate a Twinkie? That makes sense. That's a good, uh, good analogy, Jeff. Yeah, you know, because you know, <laughs> yeah, I try, Mike. You know, it's a new year, trying new things. Last thing I'll mention, to end on a positive note, I watched the uh, the Glass Onion from uh, Ryan Johnson. I haven't seen it. Have you seen Knives Out? Yeah. Did you like it? Not really. No. Oh, okay. Well, then you're not gonna like this because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty much. You know, it's a whodunit, Agatha Christie style. Uh, Ryan Johnson's an interesting director. I don't really love everything he's done, uh, but I do love a couple things he's done. And uh, I really enjoyed this uh, a lot. And, and I enjoyed Knives Out a lot. I love that kind of whodunit. I love that it's more of a comedy. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. It's something, you know, you can, you can tell your parents to watch. They're going to like it. Right on, man. Yeah, what about you, man? Uh, I've done a, le- a lot of reading 
over the last couple of weeks, but there were two, there's one uh, film that comes to mind that I saw recently in the movie theater, uh, The Pale Blue Eye. Ah, Scott Cooper's new movie. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got to tell you, man, I, I, I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. I thought the acting was great. You know, the, the story, it was like a suspense thriller, and uh, it was just really, really good. And um, Mark Kermode's review of it is what really sold me on it, because I figured that guy, his his opinions typically align with my opinions. So that hmm. movie really... I drove out to um, Montclair, which is like 40 minutes from here, to, to see it in a, in a small theater uh, during the week. And uh, it was it was fucking cool, man. Christian Bale, uh, Gillian Anderson, uh, that guy from, um, uh, you know, what's that that movie that with the kids in it? He plays uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, the, he was in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, yeah. But also, That's what I know him from that that sort of fantasy film with the wizards. <laughs> it's like a series. I don't know why I'm, I can't remember it right now. But well, as soon as you said Wizards of Fantasy, I was like, well, I haven't seen it. Yeah. That guy, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with much of that, that guy's work, but his, mm-hmm. play, his, his portrayal of a young Edgar Allan Poe was fucking amazing, I thought. Oh, nice. Yeah. Man, uh, Edgar Allan Poe really needs to be brought some justice on screen, and I'm glad to hear that it's good. I've been kind of reading a very mixed response, which Scott Cooper's movies tend to be kind of mixed from critics and, and fans and me. Uh, we covered one of his movies uh, fairly recently. We did Antlers. Yeah. 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 We were both kind of so-so on it. Yeah. It's, it was, I was so-so on it. This, I thought, I like this way more than I like Antlers. I mean, I, I can't wait to see it again because of just the atmosphere of the film. I mean, there's, it's, it's similar to something else I'm going to talk about in one of the things I checked out, which is also similar in a way to season one of True Detective, where hmm. in the beginning of that season, you kind of were like, maybe there's like a supernatural element to all of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of how uh, The Pale Blue Eye is. I never read the novel, uh, but at one point you're like, is there some kind of like, you know, presence that's guiding the hand of all of these murders and you know there is a cult involved in it there's like you know uh witchcraft and all this kinds of stuff is is part of the story but it all remains in uh you know the kind of secular world of of tactile realities like there's no supernatural element well i'm, I'm probably giving away <laughs> the the story but it, it, the whole time you're thinking about it, and um, mm. and also combining that with uh, just that the cold atmosphere of the Hudson Valley in the winter time, the period piece nature of the dialogue and everything. It just and you know of course Christian Bale is always great in pretty much everything, man. Yeah, I can't think of a of a bad Christian Bale performance. I really can't. I'm I'm thinking. Uh, nothing's coming to mind. You know, and then there's uh, like real, real emotional stuff in there like on friendship and loss and all, you know, just this, I thought it was great. So yeah, that's my rundown of it. I listened to that director on Mark Maron's podcast. He was just interviewed there, uh, a 
about a week or so ago, and it was a it was a good listen. If you if you're a a fan of Scott Cooper or if you're a fan of Mark Maron's podcast, I recommend listening to that episode. I'm not a fan of Mark Maron's podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm hit and miss for me. Yeah. Yeah. What What was the other movie you were talking? Oh, about? Uh, I started watching uh, the Peripheral on uh, on oh. Prime which is a, a oh. recommendation that Brandon Legion made. And so far, it's really good. It's, uh, you know, virtual reality, sci-fi, uh, that kind of thing. Virtual reality, really? It's, um, yeah, it's kind of like, a, you know, like I, I know it's like really easy to compare things like that to the Matrix, but it, it's part of, that's what comes to mind for me is that cross-section of reality and technology and it takes place in the, the, the near future and it has mm. to do with going into these virtual worlds and stuff like that it's it's interesting it sounds interesting do you, do you remember in like the early 90s all those like virtual reality movies that came out that were just absolute to dog shit <laughs> of know? course yeah yeah i mean that was but now nowadays they were like closer to that reality so these these um movies have like a little bit more weight to them you know yeah, for sure. And the, the, the technology element and, and, and horror has always been sort of there. And it, it can be done interestingly, like what David Cronenberg does and now his son, Brandon. Or it can be silly and stupid and dated, and, you know, the, the, the lawnmower man. Right. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing I want to mention, which kind of in, in thematically relates to something else. It's um, I started reading uh, this. It turns out that it's actually a series of novels by this guy, Matt Wesolowski. The first I read is called Six Stories. And it's it's interesting because um, I heard about it on the Criminale uh, book, Booktube channel. And uh, it sounded really cool. It's basically a, a podcast. The book is like based on these episodes of a fictitious podcast, which... Um, goes into like these true crime re reevaluations of, of uh, cold cases. And this one case that this guy focuses on has to do with the murder that took place out in this, um, you know, wooded area in uh, rural England. And uh, Weselowski's uh, a British guy. So there's a lot of the, mm. you know, kind of British like colloquialisms and things like that, which I kind of enjoy that. I, mean, I never realized like how much of a fan I am of, uh, of British stuff. Really. I never could consider myself an Anglophile, but I, I, I seem to like that I gravitate towards that kind of thing. Mm, me too. I love, uh, like I love British TV, old British horror, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm definitely a fan. Yeah. And so this is like, a almost in real time evaluation of this story and you you learn things by talking to six different people that were directly involved in this murder or they or it's not a murder really it's a death and you're trying to figure out like what it actually is and hmm. you know earlier you know there's like i was telling you about the pale blue eye where you, there are times you think there's actually is like a supernatural element and that's what this this book really conjures up essentially a crime suspense thriller through the lens of a horror story. And there's like, is there, is there a monster out there that's actually doing this stuff? And you don't know. There's like this tulpa 
almost like this unknown presence that you're you're trying to figure out what actually is going on. And most of the book was great. The ending cheesed out a little bit, but it um I still it still is not deterring me from reading the rest of the series. There's six books total. Oh, okay. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I polished it off in like literally two sittings over the holidays, so it went really quick. That's always a sign of an engrossing read, for sure. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I remember trying to read Dune, and like it took me like six times just to get through like the, the first couple chapters, and I realized at one point I have retained absolutely nothing. So, yeah, Dune's yeah, a hard one, man. That's a hard one. Oh, by the way, yeah, I saw Dune finally. The movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. And uh, you liked it, right? I really did, man. It's like, uh, I feel like that's what Star Wars should be, you know? Should be, but uh, they fucked that up real good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I really like it. Like, I only, I only read the very first Dune novel and uh, I didn't, I never got into the whole Dune trip really, but. No, me neither. I mean, it feels um, thematically true to the uh to the story and also the visuals in it are uh are you familiar with the uh french artist uh you know uh, comic book artist uh mobius i am not no he, he was big in like you know heavy metal and like metal hurlant like these uh in the 70s and uh you know mobius his, his real his actual name is philippe Drouillet, and you've probably seen his artwork and, and probably the, the visuals and the set design and the costumes and everything really harkens to his visual approach, you know, and I was I really appreciated that because, you know, at, by the time at the time I read Dune, you know, I think I was in high school or, or you know, maybe 13 or 14 years old. And uh, like a lot of that stuff, like heavy metal and like metal hurlant. And um, Mobius' oh, yeah. artwork was starting to come into like my consciousness, so those two things always felt really r- closely related to me. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, um, Dune, I, I, I liked it a lot, but there was a certain coldness to it where I just felt like I couldn't love it. I love that director. Uh, I, I never thought in a million years after watching Enemy and Prisoners that this guy would be directing, you know, $200 million sci-fi epics that are dense and naughty and a little hard to follow, even. I thought Dune was a little little confusing at times, and that is definitely going to come up in the movie we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I couldn't just enjoy the visuals and the experience of watching it. And then, you know, like about an hour or so into it, I think everything sort of fell into place. I kind of figured out who all these people were. Um, it does not hold your hand at all through that movie. It's like, this is what's happening. Follow along or fuck off. It's almost like you need to have like uh, some, some cliff notes to follow the film, you know? Yeah, that's that's how I felt. Maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. But I, most people I talked to were like, yeah, it was a little tough to follow. I thought I, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to uh, more entries into the Dune uh, you know, pantheon here. As long as Denny Villeneuve is directing, I'll be I'll be watching. Right on. So that brings us to this week's episode, "Something in the Dirt," uh, written by Justin Benson and directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, two uh, two filmmakers that act as a, a team, and uh, mm-hmm. and we 
here at Necromaniacs are are fans of most of their work. And uh, you know, this was a movie that came out late in um in 2022. Official release date January 23rd, 2022 at Sundance and released in the states November 4th, 2022. And uh 116 minutes long, which plays that the length of the film is uh, gonna, probably going to play into some of our discussion of the movie, I think. Absolutely. So uh, um, where, where did you see this film? Uh, I watched it at home. I rented it. Um, uh, I, I don't venture out to the theater much at all anymore. I don't know why. It's just become an experience that I, I don't enjoy like I used to. And I think if I can watch something in the comfort of my home by myself, I find that to be a lot more enjoyable. Um, I, I did see uh, The Endless in the theater, though. Really? Yes. Yeah, it did. It was playing in uh, North Hollywood, uh, about you know, 20-minute drive from where I was living at the time. Uh, and uh, pretty crowded, actually. I was kind of surprised. You know? But like, when a movie is only playing in like five theaters... <laughs> across america they, they tend to be more crowded um but i'm not sure if i missed anything not seeing it on the big screen i usually don't feel like i did um this kind of felt like a home movie you know as you know or most people probably know this was a pandemic movie it was filmed during the pandemic um it is not about the pandemic or anything like that but it does have that feel that i think that if people are going to be talking about years from now like films that were shot in like 2020 small casts limited settings uh it has all the hallmarks of hey this is major in covid yeah and uh it's apparently that that apartment is uh either justin benson or aaron moorhead's actual apartment they shot it in yeah yes yeah it is um i couldn't tell where it was you know i lived in la for a long time uh, and that was another kind of cool thing. It was like, oh, this is L.A. And they talked about this crummy apartment, this shitty, dangerous neighborhood. From, But if I had to guess, it was filmed in Las Feliz, in, uh, which is kind of a nicer part uh, of L.A. I just noticed a lot of the locations. There'll be like quick shots of him, you know, riding a scooter. And I'm like, oh, that's the Rustic Inn. I know where that is. Or, oh, he's in front of the Vista Movie Theater. I know where that is, you know. But uh, the, what they were describing seemed just a little bit kind of like a shoddier area, a little bit sketchier. Yeah, also, like in my experiences in L.A., that just looked like your typical kind of like L.A. pad. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, they must have really scummed that place up because I imagine uh, those guys, you know, they're not really like slumming it at this point. They're directing, you know, episodes of Marvel TV shows and shit. They probably got a little bit of money coming in, you know. And uh, they, they made this apartment look sort of grim and, and depressing. At least I felt. I don't know if you felt that way. It, well, I mean, you and I both have had these kind of like Tom Sawyer, Hook Finn, like lifestyles that we've led. Yeah. You know, so we, you know, we understand like uh, the low life out there pretty well. <laughs> and that's kind of, uh, that's like the vibe I picked up on the place is that it's like this pad that if you don't have a lot of money to throw down, you can secure this thing and live there for a few months until you disappear into the, you know, into the, the sun sunset at some point, you know? 
Right, exactly. And that is the vibe I got from the Levy character. He seems like someone who was going to live in a building like this, you know? Like, before you even really meet him, you just get a good look at him. He looks like a guy that doesn't have his shit together, you know what I mean? Well, that's like, yeah, I think the opening shot of the film is like, he's like crashed out, like either on the floor or like on a couch or something like that, you know? Yeah, and, and there, if, you, if you're playing, I watched this twice now, uh, a couple of weeks apart, and there was something in the first shot that I didn't notice the first time around that had kind of informed like how I felt about what I was watching the whole time. Like he's going through his bag and you see a camera in there. And I thought, hmm, I didn't catch that the first time around. And watching it a little bit closer, I realized the second time through, I was like, I was watching a completely different movie than I thought it was the first time. Okay. But I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into that more. Yeah. Yeah, we'll expand on that. Yeah. Yeah. I too watched this uh two and a half times actually. I, I saw it for the first time down in Philly with uh me and Rennie went down to see it at the Philly uh film fest. So, you saw it in the theater. Uh, yeah, I saw it in the theater and it was it was cool. And it was um really cool because they had like a, a guy come out and introduce the film and uh most of the people there were fans of uh, Benson and Moorhead, which I thought was interesting. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's good to see these guys are, are getting getting some uh, a kind of a following for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and well then the deserved. second time, I also own it digitally because uh, I know mm. that I'm going to revisit this film and probably going to run some kind of marathon of all of their films back-to-back chronologically to, you know, make more you know, I put together more, more theories about all of, all of their movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, it's clear they're reaching for something bigger, creating a world, world building, as people say now. Uh, it kind of goes back to a time before Marvel when, like, it was fun to catch little nods to directors. Pre, you know, you saw the Quentin Tarantino movie, the same brand of cigarettes, same brand of gum keeps popping up. Yeah. Um, I, I like little things like that, like a loosely connected world that's not this uh, going to end in, a, you know, an Avengers style movie. With, you know what I mean? Like, there's not going to be like a Benson and Moorhead movie that just explicitly ties all these things together. Or, or maybe there will be. I just I don't think so. Also, these but, guys have been on this kind of slow ascent. You know, it's like I'm trying to think like, what was it like 2009? Like one of the, their, their first film came out. And, uh, somewhere in that um, yeah, range. beginning of streaming. I remember because Resolution was one of the first streaming movies I watched, or like well, I can rent movies on my TV now. You know, one of those things. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember reading about it in Rue Morgue. So I think um, probably their this whole like journey that they're on started like in maybe 2009, 2010, and it's still continuing. And I feel like their their profile is uh, is being raised too, man. It's like people are actually starting to appreciate them as as a, as creative forces. As as should be, yeah. Um, uh, I think we've talked about it on the show before. We were both very disappointed with Moon Knight. How it wasn't kind of thought it was them doing a Marvel show, but it was the, they were just sort of directors for hire on something. Yeah, yeah, they weren't hands on really. And yeah, but you know, we did their last film was something of a something of a departure for them. Synchronic, where 
it was uh, kind of like, I think their first Hollywood bigger budget kind of movie. And what I thought was great about that is they, they kind of took, the, you know, the money, you know, more well-known stars and still made a very Benson and Moorhead movie. Like yeah. it was not a departure thematically fit in really well with the, with the rest of their films and their stamp is all over that movie. And it's great. Yeah, all right. we both liked it, I remember. All right, just to clear yeah. things up. So Resolution came out in 2012. Really? Yeah. Oh, Spring came out in 2014. Uh, the Endless came out in 2017. You know, uh, Synchronic 2019. Like, that's yeah, more, more recognizable. They had the uh, VHS uh, viral segment, Bone Storm, which came out in 2014. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that I don't think that one necessarily ties into anything. That's just like this short they did, you know. Yeah, yeah. That, that if I remember that whole entry into the VHS franchise was kind of lackluster. Yeah, but one thing I want to say though is that it the fact that they're as successful as they are, I think, is killer because their their films are definitely not for everybody. You know what I mean? Oh no, yeah. Absolutely. I don't think this is for everyone, the movie we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. This might be the one that is more marginal than all their other films, really. Yeah, I, out of all of their films, I found this, and I don't mean this as an insult or anything, but their most difficult movie. Um, it's a little bit thematically different from, from what they've done before. It's it's a little bit more, it's a little bit funnier, too. Did, did yeah, you there's it? definitely some humor in there. Yeah. Yeah, and the first time I thought uh, watching through, I was like, oh, the performances are really strange moments. But then the second time through, I was like, oh, now I know why these performances are a little strange. Yeah. A little awkward. But still, it's it's still kind of just two guys talking, which is like most of their other films. Yeah. Yeah, dialogue drives their films. And I think this movie is more interested in the two guys hanging out like the, the plot almost takes a backseat <laughs> just these guys like riffing and trying to figure out what's happening and uh you know as the movie goes on you realize like things are more accumulating than they're adding up yeah and yeah. you're you're really just kind of watching these guys like become friends and then slowly uh start to lose trust in each other it's it's similar to like a lot of jim jarmusch's films where um, Jarmusch's movies, I think, are, are very uh, character-heavy and plot-light in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, very true, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's applicable to this movie for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Wow. Yeah, as you think about, uh, what's a vampire movie they made? The, oh. Them being vampires is almost an afterthought. Yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive, which is like one of my yes. favorite movies by him. That's a great movie. That that might be my favorite. Well, no, Dead Man will always be my favorite, but th that's a close second. My favorite part of that movie is when, uh, what's her name? Uh, who's, Tilda who's Swinton. That? Tilda Swinton shows up because uh, Loki, <laughs> his character yeah. is, is um, you know, he's all depressed, and she shows up with like this collection of books for him. And she's like, yeah. oh, you, need, you need like this new translation of, uh, you know, some obscure like fucking French writer to help you out. You know, you don't, that's what you need. So she shows up and gives him this fucking library of stuff. And I thought that was like, you know, the first time I saw that, I was like, my heart melted a little bit, you know? 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a nice moment. Uh, that movie, side note, makes a great feature with uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, one of my other favorite vampire movies of the you know, mid-teens or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's I go on and on about that movie. I love that movie. It's so good. I love it, too, man. It's one of the best horror movies in the last 20, 23 years. So, really, this film, it only the cast is really Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And, uh, yeah, pretty much. There's some peripheral people that come in and out. Uh, like like you said, this is filmed during COVID, so there was probably a lot of concerns with having a big crew or anything like that. And uh, the names of the characters, Justin's name in this is Levi Danube. Okay? <laughs> now, yeah. I don't know if you caught this, but in Ooh. Resolution, the main character's name is Michael Danube. I did not catch that. Yeah. There's a lot Michael did, of, of connections. Uh, which one was he in Resolution? Was he the guy trying to help his friend or was he the, the, the crackhead? No, he was the guy trying to help his friend. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. That's interesting. Wow. I did not catch that. Holy shit. Yep. Yeah. There, there's a lot of... Uh, and also, John, the character John, portrayed by Aaron... Uh, is a member of an apocalyptic church at one point. That in his I life. caught. You caught that. Yeah, yeah that was kind of heavy-handed there. I mean, you know, not really, but yeah. that was obvious. So this film is chock full of um, expansion cues to the other films. Uh, similar to the other movies, we there's this um, invisible presence that's out there. Okay, so now we guess we're getting a little bit into the plot. Yeah, you want to take it? You want to kind of explain what this movie is sort of about? But well, that's the thing. My interpretation of this film <laughs> is, <laughs> is that, you know, if you haven't seen Resolution or The Endless, I recommend seeing those two movies first. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Otherwise, this one, you'll watch it. You might like it, You'll be, but you'll be like, what? Who, why? Like, what? What am I watching? You know what I mean? I mean, right. this movie, I mean, this movie does stand alone, but it's more fun to watch this if you watch the other two movies. Oh, for sure. It almost makes like a very uh, loose trilogy uh, between Resolution, The Endless, and this. Um, those These three seem to be explicitly linked. Whereas in Spring and Synchronic, uh, I, I feel they all exist under this umbrella, this world. But uh, it's more peripheral. In this, it's a little bit more attached, I feel. Yeah. Spring, the character of Shitty Carl, is in mm -hmm. Spring, too. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, he's he's kind of mentioned. Yeah. Someone there... named Dave, too. <laughs> Shitty uh. Carl. <laughs> Carl. you know those guys had a friend with that name <laughs> you know they didn't just come up with that it has to be it it's uh that whole world reminds me of the years that we lived in boston for some reason you know what i mean like these kind of sketchy oh, sure. characters yeah. like weird people coming in and out you know shitty car yeah totally 
Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, and like, yeah, those those guys like uh, that you live with had nicknames for everybody, <laughs> I and I, there had to be a shitty something, shitty Pete, shitty Bill. There, there fucking had to be. Yeah, yeah, probably. I'm trying to remember, but yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah, but, I yeah. know there was like a, a dude named Bud. There was Lefty, <laughs> you know. There was yeah. sketchy this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy named the Dazzler. At one point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you lived above him. <laughs> yeah. Don't live above the Dazzler. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, I haven't thought about yeah, that man. forever. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. All right, but anyway. All right, so these two guys who didn't really know each other, uh, you know, Levi is getting ready to leave Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, he's, like, ready to make his exit. He'd been living in L.A. for about a decade or so. Um, had aspirations, but like so many people didn't lacked whatever characteristic is needed to take it to the next level. So, and I imagine this is like a typical story in LA where there's like, oh, I'm a comedian, but I really tend bar, you know, or I work at the door or I work at a, you know, taco place or something like that, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I worked in catering, uh, for on and off for a long time in LA I knew a lot of Levi's, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like a producer or whatever, but in the reality, they're they're like doormen and guys who work in restaurants and whatever. And and I get it, dude. I, I'm not trying to disparage anybody. That's just the, the reality of life sometimes. Not everyone can be, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan or Christian Bale or something like that, you know? Right. The thing about Levi is, is maybe it's because, I, like I said, I've known a lot of people like that. It is people like him can't get out of their own way yeah like they want to make it but really all they want to do is party and fuck around and bang chicks and do coke and and get drunk you know and they're not really doing the work to to, to be successful people think you're just going to show up and audition and you're going to be fucking brad pitt that's not how it works you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of dedication to make it you know oh. it's hard being in a band it's hard like and build it and make it successful it's, it's really hard and it's much easier to fuck around and party and shit like that. And that's the course of the sense that almost immediately that I got with Levi. Just his vibe, his look, his hair, the way uh, the way he looked at that. I can't rem- I don't know which one is which. Which one plays Levi? That's uh, Justin Benson. Yeah. Yeah. He plays him really well. Like, uh, uh, right away, I'm like, I fucking, I know this guy. I know a lot of guys like this. And he nails that character also side note i want to say the acting in this from these two is much better than in the endless yeah and, and that's that's i was going to mention that at some point too that just overall you can tell these guys have been like working in like the the big leagues for a period of time you know yeah you know it's it's mm. like when when you there's this is like a reference that i don't know if anyway like you know you're training at a gym Right. And then like one or two guys like go to, you know, they move to Florida, to train at like American top team or something like that. And then they come back and then it's like, oh, shit, these guys are like really good now. And yeah, because they're working with people who are like just on another level completely, you know, and it's like that's kind of the feeling I get with these two. Totally. No, that's the perfect analogy. I, absolutely. Um a bit of a role reversal too from the endless where where uh john is sort of the smarter one and the one that's more together 
and Levi's sort of this, you know, fucked up drifter. Whereas in the the last movie, Endless, the one who plays Levi was sort of the, the, the dominant one and the one who had it all together was kind of the leader of these two. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Um, so yeah, they're both living in this desolate kind of crummy apartment and Levi goes outside to bum a cigarette off John and that's how these two meet. And I don't know if you picked up on like, but right away, I felt like you were not supposed to fully trust John, even though he seems to be the guy who has his shit together. Obviously, there was something about his demeanor that made him very untrustworthy. Yeah, I mean, he's got this big stain on his shirt that looks like blood. You know, he says it's wine. <laughs> he's uh, He's got like kind of a vague backstory he uh he makes up a weird story about someone falling out the window of the apartment levi lives in uh there's just a lot of red flags but he's charismatic you uh you instantly like him. levi instantly likes him you could tell yeah yeah they form a fast friendship for sure and uh you know also his uh his background is interesting too because like he's a wedding photographer or an event photographer or something like that currently at the time of the film but he we later discover that he has a background in mathematics too right yeah yeah you keep and 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 and, and john is not all that like you know oh uh, you know i'm a wedding photographer but really he's got this side gig where he charges scooters all over los angeles yeah so he also you know has like a little bit of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm this kind of guy, but he's really not. So like in that one scene, you get a lot of like red flags with with, with John. Well, their inept ineptitude of uh, working with film actually becomes pretty apparent when they start devising this plan to document the uh, the strange happenings in their in their apartment. You know, right? So. Right. So the, the crux of this plot is something strange is happening in Levi's apartment that's been uninhabited, or so we're told, for, for 10 years. And he moves in. Uh, these guys are hanging out, and they uh, both witness. Well, John sees it first that uh, this quartz, this rock that Levi uses as an ashtray, is levitating and emitting this sort of light and this pattern. And Right away, they come up with this this plan, like, hey, this is like, you know, they're both looking for something in life, and they think this is the answer. Like, they're, they're going to make a documentary, they're going to sell it to Netflix. This is their big break, you know? And that point in and of itself, I think, is a very interesting uh, commentary on the culture that we live in. You know, the first, this, this period of time that everyone, we're inhabiting right now, with uh, the quick access to media that anyone pretty much, oh, I'm going to make a documentary film and become a millionaire. You know, that's yeah. how everyone feels these days. Absolutely. There's definitely an element of meta commentary going on in this movie. Uh, it's uh, about trying to like make it. Uh, it's about making a movie. Um, I, <laughs> you know, making a movie within making a movie. That's always going to be uh, meta. Um, but you know, yeah, one like, yeah, the first scene where they're trying to capture it, there, there's you know, his camera, like, uh, Levi's camera keeps falling, and the other guy's camera is like, out of focus or something, 
they're not good at this. And that and that's the thing too. It's like in LA, like the real or you know, New York too. Like if you're if you if you run into somebody in New York and they're like, I'm a photographer, they have like gear. You know what I mean? They have like shit. They got stuff that they can make professional stuff with, you know, and they know how to use all that those things. You know? Mm-hmm. John's like, oh, yeah. I'm a photographer, but he doesn't know how to focus the camera. It's like, you know, they don't really, they've got this kind of consumer level equipment, you know? Right. Yeah. They're definitely not good at this, but a lot of interesting, like I said, a lot of things keep accumulating, but nothing really adds up. And you realize you're kind of watching a different kind of movie than, 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 than you thought you were when you first started watching it. Now, Throughout this movie, there's little cut-ins of people talking about this documentary. Right? Yes. And and there's this yeah. one cryptic one in the beginning where this woman's talking about, uh, you know, whether or not what actually happened there. And tragically, one of them dies. Right. You know, but they don't, they don't let on to which one. So then... You know, it's that trope that they do in a lot in certain films, certain short stories, where you you kind of you know there's this horrible thing that you're unavoidably approaching. You just don't know what it is and how what path you're going to take to get there, but you just know something bad is going to happen at some point. So there is this dread, this feeling of dread that permeates the this entire film. At least, at least to me, it did. No, absolutely, and you start to see this this quick friendship um, slowly unravel and you start to see that these characters aren't who they're portraying themselves as. Le- Le- Levy has a very sketchy background and he has a quick answer for some sketchier elements in his life. Well, yeah, that's interesting how that comes up because uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of a funny part too. Um, you know, uh, I forgot what was it exactly. He said he he, had, he said he was going to some kind of like group meetings for like a, yeah some kind of charity or something like that. Yeah, he but, like volunteers or something. Yeah, uh, but then John sees this person show up to get him <laughs> to go to this fucking place that he's supposed to go to. So that's when John gets to be suspicious of what Levi's actual background is. Like, what's going on? You know, if you're, when you're volunteering somewhere, they don't typically find you and bring you there. You know, so right. he goes. Yeah. There, there's the. I was thinking of you when I saw this in the theater. How you said that you always hate the uh, the Google scenes in movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, so John's the character. John. There's of course there's a fucking Google scene <laughs> where he looks him <laughs> yeah. up online. And he comes up as a sex offender, which I thought was—I actually laughed aloud when when that happened. <laughs> I laughed too when I heard his explanation because you know why? I've heard that in the real world. <laughs> I've heard what? that. I've heard that before. Like, I don't know anyone who actually has been arrested for peeing outside and becoming listed on a sex offender log, but it's always like a friend of a friend. Oh yeah, my buddy. Tony, like he took a piss and the cops came and arrested him and now he's a sex offender. So there's like that weird, like uh community property of that experience that I don't know anyone directly, but I feel like that's a thing, I guess. I do. <laughs> you know someone that happened to? I know someone who claims that's what happened. Okay. Do I know <laughs> this person that- as well? 
You might. We'll talk about it. All right. There. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Because of that, I thought his story was bullshit. Me too, actually. Because uh, you're starting to see that these guys, uh, one, one other thing too. It's like, you know, these guys are what? Like probably in their mid to late 30s, you know? So they're I in that. I think it's mentioned that Levi is 39. Okay. So they're like on the edge of becoming real adults. Like when you hit 40, yeah. that's when, you know, you're done being a kid in a lot of ways. Yeah. Get your shit together. <laughs> so like when, when, uh, in that world, living in a place like L.A. or New York, like you're meeting people all the time. Like you're meet, constantly meeting new people, you know? Yeah. And then you form these alliances with these people that you really don't know, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's different. That's a different experience than people have that say they stayed around their hometown and they've known people since they were in high school and they've got these long histories with people. But when you're someone who moves to another place to do something, you just meet all these disparate people and you don't really know them. And then eventually you start finding out things about them and how maybe some of the things they told you is just bullshit. And that's what I kind of feel like these two characters stand for. They're like the bullshit artists that you run into in that period of your life and you're starting to find out things about them. And then you can't trust anything that that they say, basically. Right. I I wrote that down. Mistrust is a big theme running throughout this movie. And at some point, as a viewer, you start to uh, wonder what you're watching. Yeah. Is what you're seeing even real? Now, I guess this could be a light spoiler. I mean, light spoiler. Um, did you think what you were watching? Okay, because it's mentioned they're making a documentary. They're constantly cutting in with like talking heads, talking about this experience. And at one point, I did not catch this the first time through. And they mentioned like, well, you guys decided to act in your own reenactments. Yeah. So what we're watching, at least this is the way I read it, is not real. It is their interpretation of what happened. Like this is, you're watching two people give a performance. Like you are watching the reenactments. You aren't watching like a film. You're watching something that these two characters made. That's what I picked up on too, actually, because there there are scenes in the film where they're actually re- doing a reenactment. Like there's the one where he's jumping rope or he's eating an apple. Or he's like, how should I how should I take this? You know? Yeah. So I, I was like, are we watching like the, like sort of like the ultimate mockumentary for these guys? Where we're watching like the footage of these actors. Uh, supposedly shot um again it just added a nice layer to the movie of like what am i watching what the hell's going on here that at the end of the day during the second the second viewing of this movie i i I think i've arrived kind of at the same place as you with it where that this is a film about the making of the documentary about about what actually happened between these two people Right. And by the end, you're kind of you're left with way more questions. Did any of this really happen? Um, there's a little bit for a foreshadowing about what's going to happen to one of the characters in the very first scene when uh, they're talking about the person falling out the window. I'm sure I'm sure you caught that. Yeah. Yeah. Not until the second time around that after I'd seen what happened, that became like, yeah, that had more more weight to it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and ultimately, like I, at the end of the film, like the second time through, I had far more questions than answers, since what we're watching is like the finished documentary. What really happened? What really like did any of the supernatural stuff happen? Was this there? You know, these guys are creating their own backstory, their own mythos. So none of what we saw could be true. Um, at what, all. What what backs that up is throughout the film. They're constantly referring to miscellaneous conspiracy theories and bringing them up and then saying, oh, well, that, you know, none of that stuff really happened. You know, this guy disproved that, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. They, they talk it, about yeah. like the uh, Pythagorean society and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which was some of the more interesting stuff in the movie. Yeah. These conspiracy and, and the whole nature of how this thing in this room sort of becomes something that has been in their heads persistent their entire life and not only in their life but it is all across Los Angeles and California in general so I, I, it kind of speaks to like this like narcissism where everything is about me <laughs> everything comes back to me that's one way to look at it for sure uh, but then the all right now now this is okay the film itself. I feel like that's pretty much the film. Okay. Yeah. Now, you can interpret things differently. Um, yes, I agree that there is a shadow cast over this whole narrative as to whether or not it really happened, knowing these two characters and how they are narcissists, essentially, and believe that everything has some kind of meaning that relates to them and that the world is like this reflection of the way they see it. And they, and then also the the fact that they bring up these miscellaneous uh, conspiracy theories and whatnot, and you know what they actually saw, did they make this up, like whatever. Now, if you overlay that with um, the endless and resolution, and uh, specifically, I'm going to refer to resolution because that's the one where uh, where you actually there is this like invisible creature that's kind of making reality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this definitely exists in the same world. You know, I mean, the fact that uh, Levi's last name is Danube and Mike, the character in Resolution, his name is uh, Michael Danube. There's a series of the red marijuana that they were smoking outside. Okay. Yes. Now, this, this is a connection right here. There's a character, Byron, the French scientist guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He's like smoking the red marijuana because mike is like oh i've never you know it's like oh. he offers him the weed and he's like oh, i haven't done that since college you know <laughs> he's like i've never seen it red before right and now that red marijuana could possibly be yeah when you smoke that you start seeing things basically you know because i think byron re refers to that because he was part of the original group of scientists that went to that part of California to investigate strange happenings, like portals to hell, you know, angels right. and devils. And, you know, he goes on this excellent monologue about what they were doing there, you know, and infinity and, you know, what's the difference between a devil, an angel, an alien, or a ghost? You know, it's, he says right. all this great stuff. Yeah, it's one of the best scenes uh, in, in all of their movies. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favorites, personally. And mm -hmm. 
And so these guys are smoking this red marijuana on the on the roof of the of the building. So are they that indicates to me that the possibility of them having being able to sense an experience with some other deity or essence or whatever creature, invisible force is 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 kind of supports that a little bit, you know? All right, so this might actually all be real. Yes, it all might be real. And then once again, some of the things that these two guys like Benson and Moorhead play around with is uh, the unknowability. And this is where we, this is where these guys become like Lovecraftian in all of their ideas, mm-hmm. where it's like the unknowability of what reality actually is and that we can't comprehend some of these forces that are around us. And typical to just even religions, you know, religions are like this kind of human abstraction of forces that can't be really understood. These guys are trying to decide or quantify something that might be beyond their comprehension. And absolutely, the film is like a reduction of all the things that happened to them. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you do. Um, I, I, I also remember watching Resolution and feeling like that could all be very metaphorical and the ending open to interpretation. Was anything supernatural? What is this thing? Is this thing us watching these guys? I guess is, uh, I, that's one interpretation I've always felt about Resolution. Like, oh, the creature is the audience. It's you watching yeah. this it's all metaphorical um yeah there's certainly two ways to go with this with this movie or probably more and i don't think either one would be wrong and i think exactly. that speaks to, to how smart this movie really is um if i'm being honest this might be my favorite thing these guys have done it's definitely one. I, I man, it, this is it's such a fucking heavy, powerful movie, yet also funny. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I, I'm gonna watch this. I'm, I don't know. I'm gonna watch this many, many more times. You know what oh, I mean? Oh yeah. Um, because you know, the first time I, I saw it, it was kind of like distracted, and I was like, oh yeah, that was that was cool. But I was, like, I definitely need to watch it again. And when I it was watching it more focused. Again, I it was like, I'm seeing a completely different movie. And after talking about it with you, I want to watch it again. Yeah. I think this, this movie rewards multiple viewings. It is much smarter than than maybe it's it's much smarter than I think people would give it credit for. I um not that people are going to dumb or anything, but uh it rewards a more attentive viewing, I think. And I wanted to ask you specifically because you pick up on these things more than I do. How many, like, there? How many Easter eggs are there to other other movies? Well, I I only picked up. Uh, let's see, one, two, at three, po- three, possibly four. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure there's more that I just haven't seen yet. Now, of course, you know, the one was Michael Danube, Levi Danube. Okay. Yeah. That was John. A big one was a uh, part of the apocalyptic uh, church. You know, he was once a member of that. Um, the, the red marijuana was a big one. 
And then yeah. I haven't been able to. I'm try, I've been freeze framing this because I I only watched it at home once because I you know in the in the film I can't like stand up and demand that the projectionist freeze frame something. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, you could. But... <laughs> <laughs> and like, so there's a scene where they're on the street. And this guy, this dark-haired, bearded guy, like walks between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That's either shitty Carl, or the other guy, the guy who was the drug addict. Yes, yes. You're I can't right. figure out which one it is, though. I would put my money on the drug addict. Okay, but I could be completely I think, wrong. I think you're right about that. I think he's the drug addict. Well, the reason I asked is uh, the guy who played Levy, what's his name? Which one is he again? More uh, Justin? Justin, yeah. Yeah, I follow him on Twitter. And yeah. he, someone pointed out that uh, they caught some uh, references in something in the dirt to their other moves. And his response was, there are a lot more. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there are, dude. It's like, I, that's what I mean. That's why I need to like go through this with a like, fine-tooth comb, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I was at a party with him once. I I, uh, I was a guest at someone's party, and, and so is he. And I'm glad I didn't see this before that because I would have drunkenly just like <laughs> cornered him and talked his ear off. Like I gotta know, I gotta know what your overall plan is. What does this all mean? Because I, I I would really love to know what exactly they're thinking, like what this this world they're creating. Is it real? Is it an illusion? Is it metaphorical? Is it? it, it my guess is it's, it's just all those things. It's right. whatever you want it to be. I don't know why I didn't do this before the episode. All right, so okay, he's credited as the attractive man on the cell phone. All right, his <laughs> name is David Lawson Jr. and he was in The Endless as well. All right. Let's see who he plays in the mm. endless. The attractive man on the cell phone. Little, little <laughs> on-air research going happening yeah, right now. I know this is real professional here. You know what I mean? Hey, that's what we are, man. That's We're why pros. we get paid millions of dollars to do this. All right, David Lawson as Dave. Okay. Yeah. So he's the drug addict. Yeah. All wow. right. So, so now, all right. Check this out. This is. Somehow, before the events of the Endless. Oh. Okay. Yeah, because Lawson hasn't had Dave hadn't uh, gone off the deep end and chained himself or whatever, or, or went out to that remote cabin. So this all takes place before that, and that, and then it has to take place before the Endless. Then. Yeah. Yeah, because he's not like you know out in the woods right at the at the moment. You know what I mean? He's still at right. large in Los Angeles. All right, wow. so Dave makes an appearance in this film too. He's the guy on the phone. Okay. Yeah. So this is not chronologically the third film. Right. This would, I guess, be the first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then See, again, right, so, now so this changes Le how I feel about it. <laughs> now I have to go. Now this is the other thing too. Okay, so Levi Danube and Michael Danube. All right, they have the same last name. Most likely, they're brothers. In the resolution, right. I wonder if uh, he makes some kind of reference to a brother dying yeah. 
or something like that or getting wrapped up in some kind of weird conspiracy theory shit. Do they mention a brother in this movie? I know they mentioned he had a sister. Yeah. And they mentioned this. Well, they mentioned in this movie that he's got no one at Levi. At the end of the movie, you were like, oh, there really was no one in his life. So at the very least, the brothers are estranged. Maybe they don't know about each other. Who knows? Interesting. That need, that needs further, uh, you know, further, further research. It does because also like oh, maybe this takes place concurrently because time is very another big thing in, in their movies. Time loops, things, things coming back around. Uh, oh yeah, existing in a different realm. Uh, so it, it, it could be that. Wow. Yeah, the end. I mean, the endless is all about that time loops and stuff. You know, it'd be interesting, like, if we come back and do an episode about this movie, like, a year from now. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, dude, later this year, we should do, we should talk about all three of these films and kind of, like, maybe reevaluate some of these ideas we have. Yeah, that would be, that would be fun. You know, and, Absolutely, uh, you know, I'll probably watch Spring again, even though Spring is probably the most, like, remote out of all these films you know sort of the outlier of the bunch yeah but I, I really like that movie yeah that was great um so at the end of the day when all is said and done what do you give this i know it was uh, on your top five list so i'm expecting you to give it a high rank yeah th this one gets a five out of five for me yeah you know, second and, viewing this gets a five for me too yeah and i'm sure that i'm sure like i said this is not for everybody i'm sure if there's people out there are going to watch this and be like you know you know, message me at some point drunk in the middle of the night. Like, you fucking asshole. Why did you tell me to watch this movie? It sucks. I expect, <laughs> yeah, I get I expect that, a lot. that. I expect it, you know, because it's not yeah. for everyone. You know, if you. No, it is definitely not. It, it's a trip, too, because you, you fucking think about it constantly. You know, after I, the days after I saw it the first time, I was like really running this through my head, you know, quite a bit. Yeah, and it didn't click with me to the second viewing. Like it didn't even didn't make my top six that we just did. Yeah. Uh, now it would probably be top three. Yeah, some of the, some of the things I really dug about it too is like we were talking about these um, small budget films mm -hmm. and how they're awesome, you know, dialogue driven stuff. But then there's like a couple of special effects set pieces where it just loses the momentum and somehow these guys are able to like sidestep all that and and they're they have you know the the special effects are pretty minimal really they are and they're not that like there's that scene when they first meet in the beginning and there's a hill on fire behind them and a helicopter flies over <laughs> yeah that's not real but you don't notice that it's not real it doesn't look super low budget or fake like it like i guess if you probably focused on it or saw it on a big screen maybe it might look faker but it it didn't take me out of the movie even like you know they live near an airport and there's constantly planes flying overhead and occasionally you get a glimpse at them and uh again like if you're not really focused on it because it looks looks fairly real i mean there was i think one shot where i was like okay that looks a little wonky but overall I think these guys do a really good job with the effects in their movies and not not really bringing your eye to what you're seeing is not real. Yeah, and also, uh, 
you know, they, they can use footage of just commonplace things that make it look really sinister, too. Oh, like those little cut-ins they kept doing? Yeah. yeah. I agree. Like, there's such a sinister tone to this. Sort of just whatever, like, you know, when he's talking about spear fishing and he gets, in, he gets into a little brawl with a lobster, you know, they cut to, like, a, just a, a, a lobster. And, yeah, there's something very, like, ominous and threatening about it. And even that fucking ashtray, man, that crystal ashtray. Yeah, like... or <laughs> the fruit. Yeah. Oh, man. With yeah, the there's boy. so much. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we could probably talk about this movie for six hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, um, I have this digitally, and uh, I bought it, but I, I'm definitely gonna get the Blu-ray because there's got to be like commentary and other shit on there, and uh, so I think that the mission later this year is to try to tie together, like try to reevaluate, take a look at all three of those films, and yeah, kind of like pick out the connections and try to make, make sense out of some of the story, at least how we perceive it. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we got to do that. We got to revisit that. And we got to revisit those movies later this year. Well, that's and, it, man. Uh, I, you know, yeah. we both give it a five out of five. Uh, you know, it's not like, once again, the disclaimers, it's not for everybody, but if you're on board with what these guys are doing for sure, this is, not going to disappoint you at all yeah and uh feel free to leave a comment on my instagram page or anyone's you know just uh, if you have a different theory i always love hearing people's uh different ideas different interpretations of, of, of movies like this and uh you know just be respectful no need to call me an idiot <laughs> um but yeah I'd like to know what people think about this. Because, you know, Mike, I don't know about you, but I don't think I know anyone else who's seen this except for, for uh, you and that's it. Yeah, me, you, and Rennie. That's it. Really, yeah. no one else. <laughs> yeah. But it's out so, there. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure eventually I'm at, I would be surprised if this doesn't show up on uh, Shudder because there are other films are on Shudder. Yeah, and much like Resolution and other, they, they seem to be like a... a a snowball effect where like no one was really talking about resolution. And by the time endless had come around, more people had seen it. And now like, a lot of people have seen endless and, you know, Hey, these guys are great. And I, I think this is uh, going to be a movie people discover over time. And fans of the more strange cosmic horror are going, I think they're going to love this. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Good way to start the year, man. Yeah, totally, man. It was good to, to start on a positive note. Um, <laughs> looking forward. Anything you're looking forward to seeing in 2023? Uh man, I'm 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 still catching up on films from last year. Like I like we're we're gonna see uh, you know Bones and all. That's from last year. There's like yeah, you know I'm there. There's stuff I didn't even see last from last year that I need to see before anything new comes along the way. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm uh, today New Year's Day, kind of a tradition of mine. I try to catch up on movies I wanted to see last year but didn't. Uh, I'm also going to watch Bones and All right when I hang up with you. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, and, uh, we'll be doing an episode on that. Yeah, we got to. Uh, I got the menu also for today. One, one been wanting to watch that, and a lot of my friends have been telling me it's a lot of fun. Uh, a horror movie set in a restaurant or something. I don't know. I don't know too much about it, but it sounds interesting. It has uh, Rafe 
Fiennes in that movie. Who I the I, great Ray Fiennes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Good to see him. Yes. Back. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, his portrayal as Spider in David Cronenberg's movie Spider might be one of my all-time favorite performances from any actor. Yeah, yeah, he was great in that movie. That's an excellent movie. Kind of like an unsung classic of Cronenberg's. I agree. I think it's often overlooked. Uh, what, what may be one of his three best movies. I love that movie. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Take care. Bye, guys.